0: We're in a series on music in liturgy. Well, that's the title for today, Music in Our Worship and Our Gathering. And I began the series before Holy Week and Passover. Its purpose was to inform us of the place and purpose of music in our discipleship and worship. And I introduced this the series by looking at the origin of music in the scriptures going back to Genesis and the origin of formal worship in music that was done with the Song of Moses at the Exodus and then into the tabernacle and then the temple and ultimately into the synagogues and the churches. We talked about the three types of instruments that were used, the string instruments, the wind instruments and percussion. Uh, And these though are supplemental to the human voice. ...which has the priority in worship. In fact, in Orthodox Judaism, to a large extent, no instruments are used. They just sing uh, the songs. There are denominations in Christianity... ...all awaiting the temple when the instruments will be restored. Um, And I honor that tradition. I don't think that uh, we have to do it, but I, I get that and it makes a lot of sense. And in those congregations... Uh, people's voices are well-trained. One of our problems is uh, we're losing the trained voices in the, uh, in the, in the music. Then last time I uh, talked about the uh, typology uh, of the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs. That psalms involve the actual singing of scripture. Hymns as praises or declarations of God's character uh, and or his acts. And the spiritual songs being more folk and personal songs of testimony and encouragement used to minister to each other. And then we looked at our hymnal, beginning with the five books of the Psalms and then the development of the hymnals, particularly in our own tradition as Baptists, and the specific hymnal that we use here at the Disciple Center. Then we had the Holy Days, and most of that's gone out of your mind uh, after that point. So my plan was today to begin the use of music in liturgy and worship and in particular, the liturgy that we have here at the Disciple Center. And um, I had hoped that my wife would be here, and I w- had some musical stuff that I wanted to tie into that. Obviously, I won't be able to do that. So I altered this a little bit, uh, and we'll pick, pick that up next week. But I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, the first four verses. Similar to the uh, Psalm 95 that was read, it says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Now, the Psalms are filled with these kinds of statements about singing uh, for joy to the Lord. And in the free churches, there's a tendency to just try to turn every service into a pep rally, sing a bunch of songs to get people in the mood, and then uh, have the service. That is not what a liturgical church does. In the liturgy, what we try to do is... Uh, set the mood based on what the scripture is saying. And as you know, in a liturgical church, it follows a reading schedule that addresses the time of year and the holy days that, that are involved and the emphasis of the scriptures that tie into that. In other words, these things are well thought out and they've been practiced beginning from the time of Ezra, developing through the second temple period, then adapted and adopted by the synagogues and the churches down through the time of the Reformation. And only in recent history have we got this kind of uh, rally-type service that really comes out of the... uh, Crusades and the revivals and the, and the idea of evangelism. Uh, traditionally, evangelism took place outside of the congregation, and the congregation was more for discipleship. But once in the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, that type period, when the free church began to be almost exclusively focused on evangelism, that, that more liturgical approach began to fall away. So if we look at music in the Jewish liturgy, the oldest form of music is found uh, is chanting. Uh, The chanting of scriptures uh, continues to this day and is supplemented in Judaism with hymns and songs. So that the leader of the worship is called a cantor. This is from that word, that incantation of the uh, cantiliation of of the scriptures. And that leader is leading in the scriptures and the praise, uh, not trying to uh, rally up the people, but to, but to speak forth that. And you'll see this also in Christian tradition as well. Uh, the chanting is relatively simple. It does two things. It assists in amplification. The early churches and the early synagogues did not have amplifiers. And so by speaking the word in more of a chant and a song, it would be carried over. You'll see that also in the black church because they also didn't have the money for those kinds of things or to build good acoustics. And so the preachers tended to both incant their prayers and their sermons uh, in that kind of sense. So it carries the voice. We... (coughs) <coughs> excuse me, when you do that. But it also makes it easier to memorize. So you guys are familiar with that. We certainly use uh, the incantation uh, type uh, vocalization when we're doing the Shema. So when we all stand and go, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. You guys have memorized that, you have it, you know, as soon as it goes in, you're all able to join in with it. Sounds a little different than when we all speak the same thing, like we did with the Apostles' Creed. And so, there is something to that 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 is used. In Judaism, the blessings and the prayers are chanted with these simple tunes that allow people to join in. Now, for the most part, we have not used those, but we're going to start adding those into. We're, we're, the Disciple Center is about to move into a number of transitions. One, some of us older folks are kind of backing away from doing all the work, and others are coming in to do that. We're not leaving, we're just backing off. And in the context of that, we're also hoping to take the level of development and discipleship that we have done... ...and expand it to the next level for the sake of our children. Because, as you know, they're already catching up with us and in some cases surpassing us. So we have to, we have to raise the bar for us so that uh, uh, they, can, they can follow in that sense. So, for example, at the Shabbat, and I don't know if you do this by just saying the blessing... Uh, you know, where we say, barucha tadonai uh, Eloheinu Borei peri ha'gafen, Amen, the blessing of the wine. Well, that's generally done more in a chant. So it's usually done with, barucha tadonai Eloheinu Borei peri ha'gafen, Amen. So, by doing it that way and teaching it to the children, it, it, it works. It's a nice little thing. Now, there are variations of this because, as you know, all the blessings begin with Baruka. Eloheinu, So, how do we know which one it is? Well, if you're doing the lighting of the candles and you're going to say, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who uh, s- sanctifies us by your word and has commanded the, the lighting of the, uh, the candles there's a slight different tune that might be used on that. And so, um, sometimes it's done, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu that kind of thing. And you'll, you'll hear this as, as you go through the Jewish prayers. There are little tunes that pick up. Some of them get up faster, like the Osei uh, that we just did. Um, so, all of those things are part of remembering that. You guys uh, just sang the Mourner's Kaddish, you just did the Osei Shalom, Shalom Bim Ramath, and you were able to do those words very rapidly because with the music it begins to teach it. One of the ways to learn language and vocabulary is to learn the liturgy in that sense. And so we'll be adding more of that uh, into the congregation. The use of chanted prayers, Blessings and Simple Tunes allows for these things to be memorized and shared together in common use. Go into a synagogue, you'll know where they are, uh, even if you're not fully sure. As soon as they get to one of those blessings or songs, then you're, you're able to uh, participate. Uh, so we're going to introduce more of those as we expand our competence in Jewish and Christian worship. There are also hymns and songs used in Jewish services, and we'll introduce some of those as, as time goes on as well. Now, what about Christian liturgy? Well, Christian liturgy drew off of that and really went in two directions, one in the direction of the Greek language and one in the direction of Latin, uh, ultimately to English. And there, because of the nature of that and because they were not Middle Eastern in, in, uh, in their context in all cases, we began to get a little different kind of chant that gets used. Now, later, after the simple chants are done, there are very elaborate ones like the Gregorian chant and all of that. And I'll have samples of that. I'm just not going to do that stuff today without a piano. Uh, Even though it's done a cappella, I've got to at least know where my notes are, right? So, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how how this might go. Uh, uh, It is very common in uh, Christian liturgy to repeat the words, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And when that is done, it is done something like this. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord, have mercy. So again, you get this kind of, you almost feel the prayer that's going in. The music is enhancing the mood, not creating the mood. The words and the lyrics are the mer- mood, but the, the tune is used to bring that into place. Now, we bring out the scriptures. You read scriptures in a, in a full liturgical system. What they would do is, when you are about to uh, read the scriptures, you would announce it. So, let's say you're reading a, a psalm. You would say, uh, from the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 33, verses 1 to 4. Then you would read it, uh, and then you might say the word of the Lord, and the people would respond. This is particularly true with the Gospels. Uh, it is It is traditional for the Gospels to be treated uh, with more reverence. And so often when they are read, there might be incensing or something else that's done to acknowledge that this is, is the Gospel. It would be read and then when it's done, the person would go, The word of the Lord. And the congregation responds, Thanks be to God, which is similar to our thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, right? So, these things go back, you know, uh, centuries and millennia uh, in Christians uh, enhancing the worship uh, by these kinds of of chants. So, chanting is a simple thing. I I remember uh, as a uh, pretty young person, the... uh, The Ten Commandments uh, was playing in the theaters. I think it was the re-release, because I think it came out in 55, and then they re-released it like in 60. I'm not sure I experienced this at 5, but I think at 10 I did. And when they were coming out, um, I will never forget the scene. I mean, it's on the big screen and all this stuff. And for me, it wasn't the the plagues, and it wasn't the parting of the sea as as fantastic as that was. It's them going out, finally out of slavery. And there was an old man who was sitting, standing, uh, kneeling on the ground. And animals were going past him. And people were going past him, around him. And he had his arms raised, and he goes... Blessed are you, O Lord, for you have delivered that kind of thing. And I was mesmerized by this worship of God that was not just saying words, but had this this tonal uh, chant to it. And I've always found that beneficial in my own prayer life. And I think it's beneficial when we do it also in the context of the congregation. So these simple chants follow patterns. Uh, in most liturgical churches, they can be learned and used very easy they 're very easy for kids to learn and As we saw in the testimonies today, the children are beginning not only to pick these things up, but they are beginning to be salt and light to others as it becomes a natural part of their life for us, for many of us it 's not that natural. You know, it's a little awkward, and we kind of, I don't know if I'm ready for this. But then the children, they just grow up with it, and it's a part of their life, and then it's so natural, and it overflows with this uh, awareness of God that other people notice. So I think that that is worth doing. So, what about music at the Disciple Center? And while this morning was not a great example of that, uh, <laughs> as we uh, we are limping along a little with uh, with some of our instruments gone, uh, the liturgy of the Disciple Center is actually structured around the tabernacle. And you know this. Uh, we We begin with the call to worship that is like the gate entering of the tabernacle. Our call to worship usually has a scripture that is tied to this approaching of God. And then there are songs that match the theme of that approaching. Of course, at this time we're in the season of resurrection, and so they're about uh, live. We live because He lives, and that became part of that uh, hymn and chorus response that that is done. Then we present ourselves, our vows, and our offerings, which is what the courtyard is about. The altar of sacrifice is in the in that section, and again we have scripture that talks about. Uh, that presenting of ourselves. We have prayers that are tied to that, and we have the songs that match in that context. Then we move into the holy place, and the holy place involves uh, the prayer, and we give prayer, and we give praise to God, and it is in those that we again add scripture and songs that are appropriate to each of those. And then finally, uh, we have the Uh, the approaching the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant would be and the word of the Lord then comes out to us as we do in the sermon and the bringing of the scriptures out is important in that context and while there's no music directly tied into that as we move more into the chanting of that I think that it will allow for the uh, the statement and the responses that, that take place. But... We need to do more in our approaching to God than just the minimal things that we have done. Uh, And you guys are uh, well past many congregations uh, from our denomination, but there is still more that we can learn and that we can do. And so when we put these services together... We're not simply putting another weekly service. It's tied into the time of the year. It's tied into the readings. It's tied into the traditions. And uh, in some sense in the context of our own first, second, third, fourth week. Where we try to be a little more Hebraic on the first and third uh, Sundays during common time. And a little more out of the Christian traditions on the second and the fourth particularly with the more orthodox Greek uh, on the 2nd. And and by doing that, and by having the liturgy switch from Hebrew to Greek to English, we don't do much in Latin except maybe around Advent, uh, we we get a chance to experience this with the broader uh, church that's there. So, uh, we do that, but we need to expand our music. So where do we need to expand this? And what am I hoping that I will challenge in the context of of this series? Well, first of all, uh, there's an area that I've always wanted to expand in, and it is during the testimonial time. I've talked to you before about my experience among the Friends Churches, the Quaker Churches, ...that have a thing called the quiet time. That's anything but a quiet time. Uh, it's actually the time when a person will stand up and read a scripture. A person will stand up and give a testimony. A person will stand up and lead in prayer. A person will stand up and lead in a, in a hymn. Or a person will give a special music. And what I'm hoping that we will expand to... ...and we've got some people who are prepared and are wanting to do this that they will prepare a song to offer in praise to the Lord in the context of that testimonial time, and that will be done. I'm not a big fan of special music. Special music is, I'm going to get the crowd in the mood uh, for the sermon. okay? But a testimony and a praise of God is a person taking the The gift that God has given them in music. And we have some people with very nice voices in this congregation who who can share songs in a context that can uplift the congregation focusing on the Lord and not on the performance of the singer. I mean, it's one of the reasons that those of us with the instruments are out in the back. (coughs) Excuse me. We're not doing a concert and we're not doing a show. We have come to focus on the Lord. And if you look at the, the content of the music, the music is focused on the Lord. The music sings to the Lord or the song sings about the Lord. It doesn't sing to other people. Now, there's a place for that. And that's why many of the songs that have been traditionally sung in more evangelistic songs are not songs that are directed to the Lord. For example, have you been to Calvary for the cleansing blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? is talking to unbelievers. It's not a worship song. So we have to know what we're using. We're not singing just to enjoy the music. The music and the lyrics are supposed to be focused and the liturgy gives us a way to do that. So I'm hoping that we will expand in our praise and testimonial section that you will begin to share uh, songs that you... uh, that you that have special meaning to you. Uh, if it's a hymn, we can all sing it. If it's a chorus, we can all sing it. If it's a special music, uh, and you aren't able to sing it, we have people who can. You'll have to warn them ahead of time, right? And we'll have to prepare that. But the idea is that those things can be added in there because a song, a testimony in song, is very meaningful and very uh, uplifting in that sense. Secondly. Instrumentation. Boy, what a day to talk about this. Uh, When we started the Disciple Center, it was me on a guitar. Then, uh, that was in part because of where we were. We were where we couldn't have instruments uh, because we were in a Mexican restaurant. Sometimes in the lounge with mariachi music playing in there. which I affectionately called St. Margarita's. Uh, But we finally got a space, and we got a piano, and then it was Linda and I with that. And then, uh, of course, Jeff began to to help, and, and Mike's come with the drums, and we've added to that. I really am hoping that the day will come when people who play the guitar will play not only on the days they're leading, but at other times that people who play other instruments from time to time, at least at Holy Days, will come and, and bring those instruments, uh, and that we will have backups so that, in a case like today, when Linda's not able to be here, someone who plays the keyboard can, can do that. Because uh, we need to have, we, we have backups for reading, we have backups for preaching, we have backups for teaching, we need backups for uh, instrumentation. Uh, and so if you are musical vocally, if you are musical instrumentally, I want you to begin to think about a greater participation in, in that kind of uh, a context. Um, I've enjoyed some of the people who gather around the... The uh, piano at right before the service and are singing through some of the hymns and doing the uh, four part harmony. I'm hoping it will begin to do some of that. But we also need to include musical training. I believe that the children need to be taught to read music, they need to be taught to harmonize. Uh, you know, if you've ever been to a restaurant and they're singing to you on your birthday, I always want to say, would somebody pick a key? You know, because they're they're in the key of Asia Minor, or I don't know what they're Ursa Minor, or or uh, cat strangling, or I don't know what it is. But it's awful. The ability to sing is being lost in a in a world that is filled with music. So we need to be training our children to read music to be able to to uh, hold a tune, to be able to harmonize, uh, uh, all that kind of thing, I think that would be good. I want them to learn to play instruments. I want them to learn percussion. I want them to learn strings. I want them to learn wind instruments. I want them to learn keyboards. So that they also participate in praising the Lord with the instruments. Uh, Praising the Lord with an instrument is a biblical command. We just read it. Uh, It's not a, well, we need instruments to block, to drown us out. Hopefully, the voices will rise up in a greater sense. When I was at uh, one of of the churches that I pastored, used to have the choir up in the front. When you have the choir up in the front, people don't sing much. They just kind of watch the show. So I moved the choir to the back rows, which did two things. It irritated the people that usually sat in the back row because Baptists come early to get a seat in the back row. Uh, uh, and, and it also made them sing more because with that choir blasting from behind them, even the people that couldn't sing well felt a, a joyous time. I used to go down to San Diego to a conference called uh, Music California. They, I don't know if they still have this thing but it was all of the music ministers in the area of several states who would go down there. There'd be about 600 of us, all uh, church musicians. And the music uh, companies that published hymnals and music arrangements and all of that would come and bring all of their latest arrangements of hymns and cantatas, and we would sing through them with instrumentation for an entire week. And it was almost like going to the temple and, and experiencing the glory of God in a way that, that is unbelievable. We are moving away from the voices of the people to the voices of a praise band and a concert. And I don't believe that's a good idea. Uh, I want us to work with our children for them to be able to sing to be able to read music, to be able to harmonize, to be able to play music, so that as we expand and as we grow uh, that uh, and as our children and our grandchildren are all in this context that we'll be able to uh, not only understand the liturgical music but we'll be able to participate in it in a much fuller uh, way. So, now I know that there are some people who believe They have no musical talent. The truth is that in most cases, those people never had it cultivated in them. And they reinforce that. there, There are some people who are completely tone deaf. And they make a joyful noise. Okay, But for the rest of us, the scripture says that we are to play skillfully unto the Lord... And therefore, there is a spiritual discipline aspect to the music. And I've always, because I was a musician secularly before I was religiously, I have always been bothered by the attitude of many church musicians who basically say, well, it's only for God. Uh, I used to practice and rehearse and practice and hone my skills for a dollar. A $5 bill, a $10 bill for mammon, all right. I am not going to do less for the creator of the universe. And so I believe that our best music should be done in the context of worship. We are to give our best to the Lord and I want us to do that. Now, we are a disciple center. We are in process. I'm okay with struggling. You know that. We're not performing here. But we are developing and improving in our worship of God. And I want us to be able to do that as well. So uh, I'm in the future going to do a little more with the chanting. And I've got some things I want to play for you and things that I want you to experience. And obviously when we do them, we will shut off the recorder. And you, you will be able to uh, make a joyful noise and not have anybody say, I heard you on that day, right? Uh, we won't sound like TGI Fridays at a birthday thing. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll learn this. But I'm hoping that you will learn to use the chants. You will le- learn to use the prayers. I hope you will try to use them in your home. And that you will begin to uh, appreciate the m- marriage of lyric based on truth. And tune based on the appropriate mood and emotion for that truth, so that we will worship God in a manner worthy of the calling wherewith we are called. And with that, let's pray.